Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshop. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Inside the junk hole. Oh my goodness. Well, sometimes that is better. It just tastes so damn good. Stargirl. Wolfman's got nards. Killer mommy. Here's Johnny. Thou art the one. Slap! Star child. Welcome to a new year for us here on the Spook Show. I'm Josh, and as always, I'm joined with my good friend Will and the Professor Smoke. Hey, we are starting off our kind of our new year. I mean, it's basically our third year of existence. This one's a little different. I mean, although it's definitely in the genre that we, you know, we stick with, you know, generally horror movies. It's definitely that, but this one's a little different. It's, it's a clever movie we're going to be talking about behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon from 2006 i had kind of peripherally or uh how, how should i say i've kind of peripherally i can't even say the damn word on the peripherally <laughs> peripheral <laughs> peripher- right <laughs> i heard of this movie but i didn't really know much about it i mean i knew it i knew it was a thing but i hadn't seen it and it wasn't until uh professor suggested that we should watch this that uh you know we decided to go with it well i'm assuming this is the first time you've seen it right yeah, I'd never even heard of it before. Smoke, of course, I, I know you've seen it at least once, right? Well, probably actually seen it about four times now, if not more. <laughs> so I guess, you know, but uh, before we get into, you know, our, our, our uh, initial thoughts and everything like that, I'll go ahead and get some of the, the usuals out of the way before we get into it. If you want to email us or contact us, you know, with any questions or comments or whatever, you can email us at allamericanspookshow at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at AA Spook Show. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube by searching All American Spook Show. We have a tea Public shop, you know, where you can go and uh, get our latest uh, designs for shirts and everything else. Uh, logo and merchandise, all that's there. And uh, we also now have a Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash AA Spook Show. So, you know, if you want to can uh, help us out that way, you can go get bonus content and uh, videos and all kinds of other stuff that we'll have available there uh, if you go subscribe to Patreon. So it's a little bonus bonus content if you want to throw a, a few ducats our way we you know we won't uh we won't be too sad about it and uh <laughs> so will this being the first time you saw it what do you what, what are your initial reactions to it well i went into this one with uh not even low expectations just no expectations because <laughs> like, like i said i'd never <laughs> heard of it never seen anything about it man i love this movie <laughs> like and and I think it's just because, you know, it's it's different than, you know, a lot of things that we get to watch. So 
No, no, I thought I thought it was a a great little surprise, and this is something I'll definitely watch again. I'm I'm kind of the same way. Like I said, I hadn't seen it, and uh, I didn't really know what to expect. Although I knew that it was a like the mockumentary aspect of it, I knew there was something mm-hmm. to do with that, but it wasn't exactly what I assumed it to be. So I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, Smoke, what about you? Like maybe your first initial reactions to it, and, and uh, <laughs> that was just what y'all's reactions were to it the first time was my reactions the first time. It just happened to be back in two thousand and seven or eight. <laughs> when I first saw it, I, I don't even remember how I came across it. Like, I don't know if somebody had mentioned it to me, if I had read it some, about it somewhere or what. It was after it had, had apparently whatever run. I know we'll get into the details, of it, but whatever run it had in the theaters, which had to be small. It didn't play. This is when I lived in Charlotte, you know, when we all lived in Charlotte or when I still lived. I know y'all still live in the area, but uh, I definitely don't remember seeing it playing in theaters there before it came out on DVD. So. But yeah, back then when I first saw it, it just popped out of nowhere and it was loved it immediately. Just like Will said, I was ready to watch it again. And I did watch it shortly after that again, I think. And uh, so, yeah, this probably is more like the fifth and possibly even sixth time I've seen it since 2007 or so. Yeah, I could definitely see uh, subsequent viewings of this one for uh, myself and like Will said. So, um, oh my God, yeah, especially after doing like just a little bit of research on this, (laughs) just how intertwined. It is with everything in the horror world. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it's there are a lot of uh, connections, and uh, obviously, it's it's a, it's an homage at, at its core to mm-hmm. uh, slasher films, and you know, and, and that genre. Um, it's actually listed in certain scenes, specific ones, of course, and then just tro- genre tropes, you know, like that pop up or whatever. It's kind of parodying those as well. But the initial watching it. And watching it four or five other times since then, there's so many things to pick up on for references to other slasher movies that even it being the fifth or sixth time, I still saw stuff in it that I didn't see in any of the subsequent, you know, previous viewings or whatever. Oh, yeah, I can absolutely see this movie being a movie where, like, you sit down, you watch it. You, you could watch this movie ten times, and then on your 11th, mm-hmm. I'd never noticed that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, yeah. One of the descriptions that I saw for this movie, you know how usually they'll say it's a horror or a thriller or whatever. Uh, and we'll get more into that when we go into the background here in a minute. But one of the descriptions I saw of it is, is it's a mockumentary black comedy slasher movie. <laughs> so it's a mouthful, but it is definitely all of those things for sure. Mm-hmm. So I guess without any further ado, before we get into the behind the scenes here, we'll go ahead and toss to the trailer for Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Silas buried his body in the field and dragged Molly from the house, hanging her in the farm's apple orchard. cardio I have to do it's ridiculous there's that whole thing of making it look like you're walking and everybody else is running their ass off everybody thinks we just wake up one morning and start obsessing about a girl and start stalking her killing everybody that gets in the way that does seem to happen a lot with you guys that boy he's going to be the best yet there are 11 exits from the first floor. Another eight or nine that might be manageable from the second floor. 
All the obvious weapons are sabotaged. Why are you doing that? We're not going to have this conversation. Oh, why? What, you Get in the van. Yes. You have no idea who you're dealing with. So how will this play out? How will this work? You won't like what you see. I promise you that. I'm so glad. Make sure you're getting this. Go! Oh, start up. Hope you got film in those cameras, boys. I cannot stand here and let this happen. Don't you get it? We're in this now. We're part of this equation. We're right where he wants us. All of us. You have to tell me. What happens to me? So there you have it. That's the trailer for Behind the Mask. Um, also saw, like, basically there's, like, two two main names for this movie. There's the full name, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Then I saw in some other places it's just called Behind the Mask. So, like, uh, I mean, there, there's definitely background information here, and we got plenty to talk about, but it didn't seem like there's as much deep dive stuff that we normally can go through. The one thing that I, I could not find was a budget. So I have no idea how much they they you know it costs to make this movie i would imagine you know i could see this kind of movie being less than a million but i, I would imagine that you know just based on who's in it and everything you think there's at least a couple million involved here you would imagine um on cast alone but unless they were like i said unless a few of them were doing some favors or something you know <laughs> but the box office it actually worldwide grows 69,000 a little over 69,000 dollars which isn't much, but, you know, I'm sure that uh, every little bit. But it did, it only received a limited release in the U.S. as far as theaters are concerned. And that was well after it had already debuted, like, on the film festival circuit. Here in the United States, it debuted October 13th, 2006, at the Screenfest Film Festival. And then it played a bunch of other festivals, you know, kind of around the world and everything. I, I mean, a, a good handful. I mean, I'm not even going to go through the whole list, but it's quite a bit. And then it eventually got landed uh, with, uh, I guess it kind of made its rounds. And Anchor Bay Entertainment picked it up for distribution and actually had a limited theatrical release the next year, March 16th of 2007. But it was only about three months later that it came out on DVD here in the U.S. And that was June 26th of 07. So, so Smoke, that was probably around the time that you probably picked it up. Yeah. Like the summer the would yeah. have been when that came out. It actually got a release on Blu-ray a couple of years ago by Screen Factory. And that came out March 27th of 2018. So I'm not sure if that's still in print or not, but that, it does exist. There is a Screen Factory Blu-ray of this. And I'm not sure of the bonus materials and all that stuff, but it'd be kind of cool to pick that up. If there's some behind-the-scenes stuff and commentary, you know, stuff like that, that's always pretty cool. Um, yes, yeah, the version I have is that DVD, that original Anchor Bay DVD, which is, <laughs> which is fine. But yeah, I would love to see it on Blu-ray. I'm sure it's fairly limited too. You know, usually those those early DVD releases, especially of a movie like this, usually don't have a lot of bonus content. Yeah. On them, so <laughs> and hell, we could like, do an entire show, and we probably should at some point on early days of DVD because I don't people forget sometimes that Anchor Bay. When uh, in 2007 was a good, we were almost 10 years into DVDs by the time 2007 came around, I think. Yeah. It wasn't yeah, about 98. Yeah, so. yeah, give or when, take. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in there. So, yeah, and Anchor Bay, as far as America in the US, I could only think of two companies at the time of DVDs launch in 90, 
seven or eight was Anchor Bay and Image Entertainment that were putting out horror movies and like I mean they were like the savior for horror fans of you know DVD generation. You mean the ones that weren't necessarily like the big studios like Warner Brothers yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ones that were putting out these types of movies, but also the ones putting out foreign like all of Argento and Mario Bava and Italian all those classic sort of foreign horror movies and off the wall independent movies. Anchor Bay had gotten a hold of those titles, and that's mainly because of, uh, like I said, well, we could do a whole show on this at some point, but mainly because the guy behind the horror movies at Anchor Bay was William Lustig, who directed Maniac and Maniac Cop. He was the guy at Anchor Bay who was acquiring these titles, putting the love and attention into remastering them. I'm talking about the old, the older, older, you know, yeah. horror movies and all that stuff. And probably yeah, the yeah. guy, more than likely, the guy who was behind getting this title for them and everything. He split off to do Blue Underground later on. And left Anchor Bay, and that's why Anchor Bay is not really putting out that many horror titles. But anyway, that was a sort of mini history of Anchor Bay and their hand in horror, and probably in you know releasing this movie. That would definitely be a uh, an interesting dive episode to do. Maybe we can pull that one down sometime this year. But it was th- those were all the releases. Like I said, it hit the film festival, and it did have a uh, f- festival circuit, and it did have that limited release in uh, March of 07, but then it came out in uh, on uh, DVD June of 07. So that's when probably most people started to pick up on it, but it was released by, or I should, I should say it was produced by Glen Echo entertainment and code entertainment. And then it was eventually distributed. Like I said, by anchor Bay entertainment. Uh, of course, this movie is rated R. Although I would say that it's not overly gory for sure. You know, I'd say it's definitely your typical slasher gore, right? You know, like not over the top, there's enough there to know for you to know what's going on. People are dying, but it's not, you know, crazy, crazy gory. And like we said a couple episodes ago, when we watched terrifier, that one set the bar. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything it's all downhill from here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, this movie, the TRT or the total runtime, I should say is one hour and 32 minutes. So it's nice and tight. Uh, on IMDb it is listed as comedy slash horror slash thriller. So, I, I don't know if I'd necessarily put comedy first, but comedy's definitely in there. Mm. Um, and, and like we said, that other description, you know, had it as a, a, a black comedy. So that kind of, you know, fits uh, the, the the level of comedy that you're seeing in this movie is definitely a dark comedy, you know. Um, and for people who haven't seen it yet, you might get the idea when you're talking about slasher movies and comedy elements and all that, people are immediately going to think like scary movie, which is totally not that. <laughs> it's not a parody. No. Say. It's a mockumentary slash, what's the other word? Not parody, but that other, uh, <laughs> there's another word in there when you're like not overtly making fun oh. of, but you're just using humor to enhance yeah, whatever mean, elements yeah, of the genre. Yeah, satire. That's it. Satire. satire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I did something right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, he's the guy with, it's a miracle. That's right. <laughs> um, I would have been here for the end of this podcast trying to pull out that word. From, yeah. Couldn't think of it. <laughs> a murderer got his axe. It's just 30 minutes of smoke crying because he can't think of the word. <laughs> Goddamn age. Self-deprecating, just <laughs> talking. I'm so, I'm so stupid. I hate myself. <laughs> and then it's a bit like crisis. Anyway, let's, finish, let's finish the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we just finished the podcast through his sobs. <laughs> On IMDb, it has a rating of 6.7 out of 10 stars, and uh, even better over on Rotten Tomatoes, which you know is usually uh, a harder place to impress. It got a 76% on the tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes, and that's 42 reviews, so that's not like you know three guys reviewing it, and uh, it's certified fresh. 
and the audience score over there is seventy five percent. So about about the same. Yeah, that know. doesn't happen often. <laughs> no, especially not for the kind of movies we not talk these about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was directed by Scott Glosserman, who you know you look around, you see like the dude hasn't done much else. I mean, really, this is about it. Like he did a documentary uh, uh, about four years after this called Truth and Numbers: Everything According to Wikipedia. And then uh, there was another movie the next year in 2011, The Truth Below. And that's pretty much it, like, as far as directing-wise. I mean, I'm sure he's done some other things, but it doesn't look like much else past, like, 2011. So I don't know if something happened to him. I mean, from what I can tell, he's still alive. But, he, you know, yeah, he's definitely not active uh, in film anymore. So maybe he found something else to do <laughs> with his life. I'm not very sure. But either way, if nothing else, I mean, he left us this. So that's pretty awesome. And... Uh, I guess I'll go ahead and skip ahead to say, you know, since, you know, th this first off, we are a spoiler podcast. I mean, if you're just joining us for the first time for some reason. So we are going to spoil this movie. So if you haven't seen it, pause this, go check it out and then come back and listen to the rest of this. I said with the ending that you see with this, right, I'm not going to give out the particular ending just yet. But the fact that there could be a sequel. Right. They do leave it open. Right. Apparently there has been talk over the years of doing this again or, you know, making a sequel to this. But apparently like it's it's kind of been I guess his opinion is like this movie. And, and, and he's definitely right about this. This movie is a snapshot of of kind of the way horror was in, in 2006. You know, like yeah. this was very 2000. This is very mid 2000s right yeah. here in the, in the way this movie is right the slasher and, and all the way back to the 80s too right for sure yeah yeah but but yeah. the way horror movies were at that time and before that, that this yeah this is a snapshot of it and in the years since horror has kind of evolved where it's not necessarily like this anymore he's kind of just like i think he kind of like yeah i want to do it but I, I need to do it in a way that that feels right to kind of like not only to to kind of crap on this one but to kind of update it to to the way horror horror is today so that's really kind of, I guess he hasn't really come up with a good concept, I guess, or a good enough concept to kind of make it feel relevant, I guess is where I'm going with it. Right. So I guess that's kind of why it hasn't happened yet. But they, but that being said, they definitely left it wide open to do more of these for sure. And I, and I would definitely be on board to see more oh, of yeah. this if they, <laughs> yeah. if they ever yeah, decided absolutely. to, as far, as far as he's concerned, like I said, Scott Glosserman, this is pretty much about the only thing. Um, it was written, he also was the writer on this and, and uh, he wrote it with uh, David J. Steve and he he's only got a few credits himself. He wrote this and then he wrote something called Wait For It, which apparently looks like it's it's in post-production and it's uh, like a short film or something that's supposed to be coming out next year. And he directed that. Apparently that's all him. So like, and, and there's a few other things here, but nothing like you probably know anything about. So as far as starring in this movie, the stars are Nathan Basil. Or I guess that's how you say his last name, Basil, Basil, B-A-E-S-E-L. We'll go with Basil. Nathan Basil as Leslie Vernon. I, and I'm pretty sure in the credits this said, like, uh, introducing, you know, at the beginning uh, of the credits there. So I'm guessing this is his first, uh, one of his first acting jobs. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, yeah. he'd been, he well, been in a, he'd been in a few television TV series. things, before. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, before this. But as, as far as his, I guess, his feature film debut. So I guess maybe that's where they get the introducing apart from mostly a tv guy i mean he, he's been in some episodes of uh the district yeah the district cold case invasion he was in a, a number of episodes of that stuff like that numbers without a trace csi like you said csi miami all that kind of stuff 
that's mostly what you would uh, probably recognize him from other than this. And uh, he hasn't been quite as active over the last eight years or so. It looks like he's kind of getting back into doing some other stuff. But as far as like acting is concerned, he had, he kind of took a break around 2010 and then, and then didn't kind of resurface until the last couple of years. But I think he does a fantastic job in this movie for sure. Kind of playing the, uh, the aloof. I don't know exactly how to describe him, you know, until he kind of, you know, pops his lid, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> kind of a corny dude that's kind of, you know. He's kind of, uh, you can tell he's like, he's happy with his job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's overly excited. And he wants to, to share it to up to a certain point until it, you know, becomes like, you're fucking up my shit type, you know, thing. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then away we go. And then he gets real serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it also stars Angela Gothels as the main woman in the movie, Taylor Gentry. She's been in a number of things. I, I think the one, uh, the, the few things that you would probably, that most people would probably recognize her from, if you're going to recognize her at all, she played one of uh, Kevin's sisters in Home Alone, the first Home Alone movie. <laughs> uh, she played Lenny in that movie. Uh, she was also in the movie Spanglish. Uh, she had a role in Jerry Maguire. So, I mean, she has seen, you know, success in pretty big movies, you know, mostly before this movie, but still. Um, Actually, yeah, I remember in a pretty impressive going back. Yeah, I remember Heartbreak Hotel. That was the one I remembered. <laughs> I remember she was, she, well, the first time I saw this movie way back in, whatever, 2007, I remember her, like, she's very familiar to me. I couldn't get it. And it wasn't even the fact that she was a sister in, in Home Alone. It ended up being Heartbreak Hotel that I finally figured out what she was from. It you know, reminded me of. Yeah, just going through her list on IMDb, one of her credits is a movie called Triple Bogey on a Par 5 Hole. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on what kind of movie that is, that could be very interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, she, she had a long run on the uh, TV series back in the 90s, Phenom. There's a TV movie in 2002 called Porn and Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> so probably uh, they, not porn i'm guessing that's a comedy or something uh, I, well it's a tv movie so i would imagine it's not oh, yeah okay yeah <laughs> unless it was on the playboy channel or something what is this Me channel you speak of <laughs> never heard of it. uh <laughs> she was on a season of 24 so a lot of a lot of the same as uh, like kind of uh, uh the other people you know and a lot of tv series throughout the 90s and 2000s it also stars a, a guy that i've never heard of uh robert england uh, I don't know if he plays Doc Must Howard. Be an up and comer. <laughs> yeah, I guess he's like an older actor that just kind of you know goes along and gets parts when he can. Oh wait a minute, it says here he was Freddy Krueger. My bad. Uh, <laughs> I, honestly, you shouldn't even like if you're going through his uh, uh, his filmography, you should just skip Freddy and go through the other ones. You know. <laughs> again, again, we could do a straight up episode and probably should do a straight up episode on Robert England <laughs> on on his many roles and his many films, yeah. and his many characters and yeah and, and this and isn't the, the first time we've had a movie on uh, with yeah him. yeah i was just about to say the <laughs> funny thing is is that this isn't the first time we've seen one of his movies and we haven't watched any nightmare, nightmare Elm Street movies. Yeah. <laughs> is it only the second one though right because it was of course uh never too young to die but that's the only two so far i think right i believe so yeah <laughs> i don't think we've seen any other ones but uh yeah. actually right now to my knowledge and it could be different because there could be some supporting actors that we've seen in more movies but i think gene simmons Outside of the Conjuring universe, Gene Simmons is probably the most recurring <laughs> yeah. movies we've done that I can think of right off the top of my yeah. head. Unless it's like yeah, I said, some some supporting role that you know. We should start we, doing. We should, realize. we should start doing some little sub count of like Hallie, how many. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How many movies we watch from a certain person? 
Yeah. Because I, I know we've seen three Gene Simmons movies, and now this is two Robert England movies without watching Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, we ought to keep a running total on some of these guys. Another person that's in this movie that, you know, you could you could go on and on about for a long list of people, Scott Wilson as Eugene. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I would say today, these days, most people would probably recognize him for his role in uh, The Walking Dead as, as Herschel. Um, cause he had a, lo- a good long run on that, on that series, you know, during kind of quote unquote, the good years of the show, <laughs> but he was also, uh, in a movie called the ninth configuration, uh, back in 1980. Uh, he was in the movie, the host back in 06 in 1967, he was in, in the heat of the night with Sidney Poitier. So that, that's pretty cool. I mean, uh, that, that's a pretty, uh, broad spectrum <laughs> of types of movies and a long career. As a matter of fact, that was his very first uh acting credit so yeah he, he he did a lot of things from 1967 all the way up until uh, the time of his passing a couple of years ago he passed away october 6th of 2018 so uh, uh it was slight he, he actually he passed away slightly before we started the spook show like within like a week or so right before we started mm-hmm. this uh podcast yeah but he was active all the way up until the end and then he uh uh i would imagine it had to have been so but i can't remember exactly uh how he passed so i'm sure with the movies that he's done and the, and the television shows he, he was in, um, we'll, we'll revisit Scott Wilson at some point or another. He'll make it onto the list. Mm-hmm. Another recognizable name you know, to horror fans in this movie is Zelda Rubenstein. She plays Mrs. Collinwood. It's a brief, you know, she's, on, she's got a, a pretty good speaking role, but it's only for a few minutes because she's like the librarian in the, <laughs> in the movie where, you know, before yeah. things kind of, before things kind of like snap you know, and kind of start going down a darker road. She has a bit role there. Most of our fans would know her from the Poltergeist movies, right? I mean, she played, oh, yeah. uh, how, how do you say it, Tan, uh, Tangina or Tangina or whatever her name was in Poltergeist? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's Tangina. I'm, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Tangina. Yeah, Tangina. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, of course, she does that voice in this movie, too. <laughs> the same oh, yeah. well, speaking style. So. Yeah, yeah. Which is yet another uh, homage, right? I mean, just having her yeah. in it. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's an homage itself. Yeah, it's an homage to those Poltergeist movies she was in. Um, she I was actually think in... I saw something saying that this was her last movie. Oh, yeah, that's right, it was, that's right, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it was her last acting credit, because she passed away January 27th of 2010. Once again, I'm not exactly sure um, what happened to her, you know, how she passed, but uh, she passed about four years after this movie came out. You know, on IMDb, at least, you know, the, the four top movies she's named for or uh, known for, Poltergeist, Poltergeist 3, Southland Tales, and 16 Candles. I saw something about her, too. Like, apparently, like, she gave up, like, a, a, a like a stable, good-paying career, like, in the medical field as a lab tech or something like that. Like, she was actually, you know, making pretty good money, I guess. And then all of a sudden she just decided to dump it and become an actress and the rest is history. But yeah, she's definitely a recognizable face from the, from the eighties and nineties and a lot of uh, roles in uh, TV and movies. Once again, she's another one that we'll revisit whenever we get to some other movies one day, she'll be another name that comes back up. I mean, really that's as far as the cast is concerned, that's probably the main ones you'd want to go through. Honestly, I mean, there's a handful of other people in it, but those are your main characters. Uh, you know, you got the couple of, uh, cameramen that are in it doug and todd that's played by doug is played by ben pace todd is played by Britton spellings and then uh kind of the the main girl until she's not the main girl kelly in the movie um, yeah. that's played <laughs> that's played by kate minor now apparently she's had a few other uh pretty major roles uh, i think she's had a pretty pretty long role in the uh showtime series shameless 
here recently, but she was also in that Will Ferrell, uh, Zach Galifianakis movie, The Campaign, uh, a, a number of other things, including a movie called Butt Whistle. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we need to get around to Butt Whistle one day. Just on yeah, name but, alone, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, as far as like behind the scenes type of stuff, I mean, that's really about all I had. I mean, it's just going through the cast and a few other things. Also, I, I should note that uh, this movie in the movie is supposed to take place in Maryland. But actually, pretty much the entire movie was shot in uh, in the Portland, Oregon area, which is which is kind of weird, right? Like I I've never understood like why you would say something <laughs> is com- in a completely different place when you could just as easily have said this, you know, that this is in Oregon, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I also think I, that I read that uh, the the guy that wrote this um, is from the Maryland area area, so I think that's the connection. And, and I guess, and I guess sometimes too, like it's probably more expensive than you would think. It, like it's not as easy as like, all right, guys, let's pull out our cameras and film wherever the hell we want to film. You know, like you do have to have permission, and you got to pay for this and that, and certain areas and states uh, tax, you know, don't tax these uh, productions as much as others, and there's incentives to go shoot in other areas. So it could be a situation like that where maybe it was easier for them to do this in Oregon. Than it was Maryland, maybe I don't know. And apparently, also too, due to the, uh, the I'll read this straight off of uh, the, the article I pulled up here. Due to the limited budget and location restrictions, some of the script was rewritten during filming to accommodate the filming locations. So during filming, several locations needed for certain scenes had to be scouted and were discovered in the middle of shooting. <laughs> so I guess like as they're going <laughs> along here, they're like, "Oh, this looks cool. Yeah, let's let's use that." You know. <laughs> <laughs> and then they would have to kind of like rewrite the script to fit where they were. So uh, this is definitely like, uh, what do they call that? Like guerrilla filming or whatever the hell they call yeah. that. Where, yeah. Where you just like pull out the camera and go. Yeah. Uh, this looks nice. <laughs> yeah. Not necessarily. Or like some, not that you had to do that in this movie, but some of the stories you hear in some of the even bigger budget movies where they're in a city scene and they have to do it guerrilla style and they don't have permission. So they just go in and like, okay, you, you hear this, your mark, that's your mark. Let's get this shit real quick before we get caught. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have to and do, necessarily only, do that. And you're probably only doing it in one take, maybe two if you're lucky. Yeah. You know, you're just you're just getting it and running. <laughs> and a lot of I know a lot of independent films have to do that. You know, you just kinda that's just kind of the way it has to be because of money and and uh you know, maybe time restraints and all that too. Mr. Projectionist, stop the show. Here's great news you ought to know. We've just got a shipment of taste-thrilled treats, all tip-top quality and delicious eats. There are hot dogs and popcorn and candy galore. There are soft drinks and coffee and a whole lot more. So direct your steps to our refreshment stand to enjoy the finest snacks in all the land. For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Like we've said, you know, dozens of times before, the way it works is you sign up, uh, they give you a credit. You can take that credit and you can basically go get any, you know, audiobook you want to listen to, and then you can cancel it if you want to, and then you get to keep that one book for free. It's yours to keep. Um, but I would suggest, you know, staying around for the service because there's there's so many options. I mean, like one book probably just ain't going to do it. I just typed in this. This is random, but I just typed in November to see what would come up on Audible. And I found a book called November Nine, a novel by Colleen Hoover. And that is uh, just under 10 hours long. I found another one called November Road, a novel by Lou Burney. 
narrated by Jonathan McLean. And that one, once again, is slightly under 10 hours long. That, apparently that's about the mark, right? <laughs> you hit about nine and a half hours. And like, All right, that's enough. A, bu- a book called Killing November by Adriana Mather, narrated by Cassandra Morris. And that one is almost 12 hours long, so a little longer. Something that sounds like it would appeal to Will. Butterflies in November. So uh, pl- <laughs> plenty of November books since we're in the month of November. Uh, you can go find these on Audible. So to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash spookshow for your free audiobook. All right, so I guess for, for all the paid advertising out of the way, we can go ahead and get into the movie itself. So the film starts with, like, you see a waitress outside of a restaurant, like, taking out the trash, and, she, and like, uh, uh, the brick falls off the door. She's got, like, the door propped open with a brick, and then she, she thinks she sees somebody in the bushes, and she hears a noise. So then she just goes running like around to the front of the store. You see a TV reporter, which uh, turns out to be the, the introduction of Taylor. Um, she's the TV reporter. She's doing a story on the, the town of Glen Echo, Maryland, and how Leslie Vernon, that uh, apparently something bad happened to this, uh, this kid, Leslie Vernon, like years prior, that uh, apparently, I guess, like the town is possibly preparing for the return of Leslie Vernon. And uh, she kind of makes these direct comparisons to... Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, and Michael Myers. And they're not veiled either. It's like straight up like, you know, this town or, you know, Camp Crystal Lake uh, was haunted by, you know, Jason Voorhees. And (laughs) Elm Street was haunted by this person that uh, apparently came back and killed you in your dreams uh, by the name of Fred Krueger. And uh, did you notice as well, like uh, when it shows like an uh, an Elm Street resident walking into his house, that was Kane Hodder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walking into his house. And the address that he was walking into, I think it was a 14-something, was 1428, is the address that Nancy lived at in yeah, Nightmare yeah. Elm Street? It's also I pretty mean, I thought that was hilarious twisty. that they put him on Elm Street. To put Jason on Elm Street, yeah, that's pretty good. And hell, and that's, that's not even the first reference in that movie. I think or the first reference was in that, that Red Rabbit pub in the background that she's standing mm-hmm. in front of. The one, the matchbook that Dr. Loomis found in uh, the original Halloween, he found the Red Rabbit Pub matchbook. Yeah, see, like, the, 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 some of these things are, are, like, that I didn't even notice. So, like, yeah, as you can tell, there's going to be there's gonna be some things in there all of us didn't notice that maybe one of us did, and we'll call them out. Then it shows Leslie Vernon. You're introduced to Leslie Vernon, and he's, like, showing Taylor and, like, this film crew that she's got with her around his house. Like, he shows them, like, he's got some pet turtles, and then he shows them, like, this, he does, like, this goofy little magic trick where, like, hey, you got a deck of cards? Hey, it's in your front pocket, you know? And then he takes him to his old home, the old homestead, like some old house across town that he doesn't live at anymore. But apparently, like, he supposedly lived there when he was a kid. And then it shows him, like, working out, like, getting ready to, you know, basically getting ready to kill. So this, this is kind of like, at first, I'm like, what the hell's going on here? But this is, during the course of all of this, as smart as I am, right, I piece together, like, okay, this dude's about to become a serial killer. And you're seeing, like, kind of like, they're embedded with him. Like, it's a behind-the-scenes look at how he's becoming the next, you know, Michael Myers, right? That's basically what's going on here, right? So, and, and I'm, I, I just read this, so y- y'all could probably speak a little bit more to this, but it's essentially like a, a cannibal holocaust meets a serial killer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you could go with that, kind of like a, with the, the initial scenes of cannibal holocaust where the, the film crew goes in, some shit happens to the film crew. Okay, then, except for the end part where they, you know, they, they discover... They send another crew into the jungle to get the, the the film from the crew, and then it becomes a found footage. So Cannibal Holocaust is kind of like the first found footage type movie. This one's not necessarily found footage, but but yeah, I can go with that that that, that initial 
you know, film crew set up to do something that doesn't go right for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, and it just kind of escalates as the yeah. as the the show goes on. The whole right. pro- the whole premise of like Im- embedded journalism is basically what yeah. it is. But like yeah. at first, like it, for me, like I said, as smart as I am, right? <laughs> it took me a few minutes to kind of like, what the hell is going on here, right? Like I didn't quite get it at first. Yeah, yeah see, and I don't it, remember my first reaction to that because it's been so long ago that. I just automatically go with it now because I've seen it five or six times. So, but I, yeah, I don't recall how <laughs> yeah, I, because yeah. I wouldn't have known anything about this movie other than, like I said, I don't even remember how who told me about it. Or, I mean, I knew that it was a pair or a satire or whatever. But yeah, I don't remember my first reaction of, at that, trying to figure out what yeah, was going like, on. I, I went in, I went really cold. I didn't know the trailer. Mm-hmm. I didn't know much about it past like that brief description that we read at the end of the last episode. Uh, so I knew it was some type of mockumentary type setup. I knew that much, and that was yeah. about it. So I that like that, like that embedded journalism kind of thing. Like you're actually seeing this dude go through the steps of becoming a serial killer, right? So like, or a, or a slasher film killer, you know, however you want to phrase it. He goes and he uh, scouts out his victims. Like you see him like going to like the local high school and like picking out who he's going to be going after. It's like. Well, there's the group of jocks and the pretty girl, and uh, here's the and here's the stoner, stoner kid. Yeah, the stoner kid. So he's kind of picking out, you know, the the stereotypical victims. Then he shows Taylor how he scares how he scared the uh, waitress, basically. Like, or you see how this happened. Like, remember that scene at the very beginning of the movie? How like the brick falls away, and then the door closes. She thought she heard something and ran away. He they basically show them setting it up. Like he even gets Taylor, the reporter, to help him with it. Like. All right, you stand over here and pull the pull the brick away, and I'll be yeah, over then, in the bushes. You know. Then that is also sort of like that embedded journalism that goes a step further into which they kind of do do a lot of in Cannibal Holocaust too. Is but you become the journalist becomes part of the fucked up shit going on, <laughs> you know, like a yeah, yeah, accomplice yeah. in you know, what's going on. And that's definitely what's happening here. Like as far as like you know, the further you get along here until you know things switch, uh, he's basically making them an accomplice. To the whole thing. Well, well, we'll get into that here in a little, little bit. But he introduces her to his uh, his kind of like his mentor. It's, it's it's Scott Wilson's character. His name's Eugene, and, and the like. The dude's like them buried himself underground in like a hyperbaric chamber or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, one of those uh, <laughs> kind of like the chamber in a sci-fi horror movie. That's uh, it's, here we go again. Here we go. Again. <laughs> I'm gonna be sobbing through the rest of this. Oh thing. God, here we go again. <laughs> this is thirty more minutes. Uh, the Deprivation Chamber movie. The Deprivation Chamber sci-fi horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> Called <laughs> Deprivation <laughs> Chamber. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like he's basically buried underground. So like Leslie goes and like digs him up and then you're introduced to him. And like, like I said, he's basically like his mentor. It's like he's an old school killer. Like he it's like he used to do this back in the 60s or something. Now, did they ever make any direct connection as to who he's supposed to be? Like, is he supposed to be? Something well, from an old movie? Or, I didn't know or, this before. Yeah, I, and I would never have picked this up just from watching it. But apparently, Eugene is supposed to be the adult or older age version now of Billy from the original Black Christmas. <laughs> 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 now, what you know, I read that later on. You would never really pick that up just by watching no, it. No, no, you, no, you definitely wouldn't, but that's, that's smart. And then they, he also yeah. has, like, the lines about how, like, uh, these days, they, you know, like, I, basically, he's like Freddie and Jason and all those. They made it into an art form where, like, you know who they are. Like, they yeah. became they they became stars. But back in my day, we just kind of did it and got out of there. 
you know, yeah. like, and, and that was, we that's kind of seen as one of the first. So that makes sense. You know, there's one of the before Freddie, before yeah. Jason, before all that, you know, it was. Yeah, that, that all makes perfect Black sense. If, if that's what they were going for, it makes perfect sense. Because by the end of Black Christmas, you don't know who the hell that was. Yeah. Right. Like, you have no idea other than the fact that uh, uh, he says his name is Billy. That's it. Yeah. You know, and, and he's and he keeps talking to somebody named Agnes. That is it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and then and then the, his whole exposition about that, uh, how Jason and Freddie they raised the bar, and Michael raised it to a new level, you know, of yeah, showing yourself to them and then reappearing and doing all that, you know, the way they build the <laughs> their character yeah. up or whatever. They're legendary. They're like ghosts, you know. <laughs> so then it shows Leslie like planting like a fake paper article. It's basically just to kind of like bait the main girl Kelly into like uh, looking up more information and finding uh, out out like uh, information about him so he like plants this fake paper article about some fake uncle that you know uh <laughs> to make her think like she's got some uncle that was a maniac or some shit like that right and there's some connection there yeah and, uh, this is where you're also introduced to the library mrs collinwood uh, uh they didn't even go so far after the uh after the fake newspaper cutout thing that he places is going to place it there then he also makes a fake microfiche <laughs> real yeah, to so correspond <laughs> to the story so that when they go to look yeah, for so, the microfiche reel. Then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, that's where you're introduced to Mrs. Collinwood. Oh. She gives the origin story, right? Like, it, it sets up perfectly for her to, like, oh, you've never heard of Leslie Vernon? You know, and then... <laughs> yeah, which she, which she delivers in her poltergeist voice. <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah. When she's telling the legend of Leslie. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And the fact that she's a Collinwood is uh, a ah, reference to yes. The Last House on the Left. Yeah, well, so actually, that's got to be, yeah, and that, and that could even be seen as a double reference, because one of the, when I first heard Collinwood, it made me think of Dark Shadows. I mean, not that Dark Shadows is a slasher movie, but but the Collinwood Manor or estate and from the original Dark Shadows show, I guess, and also used in probably the Tim Burton remake, too, but uh, Collinwood was the name of the estate. So there's like a double reference right there. So as Mrs. Collinwood is kind of explaining the uh, somewhat the origin story of Leslie Vernon here to Kelly, Doc Holler, or... Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Leslie comes up behind her, like with that, uh, what, what is that? A, is that a, a scythe or a sickle? What is that that he's got that he kills with? I guess what would it's you a, call it? Because I think a scythe, I guess, is the full Grim Reaper thing, right? I guess yes. it's a sickle. Yeah, it's probably it's more a like, a, like, a, like a small sickle that he's using. He comes up behind her, and I, and I think he uh, kills Mrs. Collinwood, right? Like when you stab her in the neck or slice her throat, he does something to her. Or, I think, I guess, stabs behind her, because the way they set it up, you don't even notice it, because, like, she's like, boom, she's like, oh, there he is, you know, and he, and he <laughs> just kind of drops. Yeah, it shows up, and he's, like, pulling the sickle out of her. Yeah, Doc Halloran pulls up. Now, that, now that's an obvious reference, right? <laughs> Doc, Doc Halloran. <laughs> Doc, for, uh, the, for what his Danny's nickname, nickname, you know, Danny's nickname, and then Halloran is uh, Dick Halloran in the movie, Dick so Halloran. that's 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 a more obvious one, yeah. Um, the it's not the first. Yeah. It's not the last shining reference. I guess we'll no, reference no. the next yeah, one when we get to that point. <laughs> there's one more that was very subtle that I was like, "Oh yeah, the shit, there it is." You know, that I could hear yeah. it. Uh, yeah. But we'll get into that in a second. But uh, yeah. so Doc Halloran comes in and he shoots. He shoots a gun and like uh, I, basically he shot Leslie, right? Didn't he say like he got shot in the shoulder or something like that? He's like, "Yeah, yeah that he, hurt, but I'm all right." <laughs> yeah, he shot him. I had but, my like, vest on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah later on uh, after that scene's over, yeah, I had my I had my bulletproof vest on. Um, and uh, he chases him off, and then like that's when like he goes back to Eugene. He's telling him about it, and then they're all excited because he, uh, he's like, "You got an he Ahab, got his first Ahab." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, now you're now you're truly ready. You have your Ahab. Taylor then decides like uh, this, 
you know, that she's going to, even though Leslie told her not to go mess with Kelly, don't go interview Kelly, don't mess with her. She decides to go and do it anyway. So she goes to the diner where Kelly works and she's going to talk to her. And uh, then Halloran comes up and like, he's basically onto them and knows that they have some connection to Leslie. And uh, he warns Taylor about Leslie. Like he's not Leslie Vernon. He calls him like, Leslie Mancuso or something like that, right? He's not who you think he is. But they leave, and then Taylor goes and tells Leslie what they did, and, and Leslie's mad that they went and did this. And then basically, like, it almost seems like it's over, right? Like, as far as, like, their their little uh, embedded journalism thing is over. Like, you know, he's pissed about it. But, but basically, he kind of leaves it on the table for her to decide whether she's going to stay or not. So she decides to stay. And then that's um, where you first see that, like, also that... Uh... You know, this is a slasher killer type guy, you know, because he slam, kind of slams up against the van, right? Almost like he's going to choke her at first or something. Like, that anger flashes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, he, yeah. No, I mean, he, when, when, when he goes from, like, kind of, like, silly guy to the to the serial killer, dude, that, yeah. was, that was tight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good transition. Good acting. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's a good acting job, uh, probably more so on the uh, friendly, you know, guy you could get along with portrayal that he has than it is the psycho right i think playing a psycho is pretty i ain't gonna say it's easy but you know i think most people that know how to act they could probably go there fairly easily it's yeah, the yeah. it's the transition the normal kind of like, <laughs> or at least how to portray being normal and funny and all this stuff you know <laughs> yeah yeah that's one thing you know you portray that on, on a level he does a good job with that part because when he snaps you're like oh damn you know like <laughs> you know you feel like this dude is truly nuts you know uh, which obviously he is. And I thought this was pretty funny how like Leslie takes them to the house and he shows them how that he has set the house up. Like it's completely how he completely rigged everything yeah. up for the kill and everything. And, and it's funny explains- because it plays with those, those, it plays with those genre stereotypes and tropes of like, when you see somebody trying to fight against a serial killer, a lot of times, whatever instrument they have, something happens to it, you know, or whatever. And they, so he, this is him showing that, oh, yeah, it's probably just a setup from the beginning. They already went ahead and planned all this stuff before. You know, <laughs> yeah, like before the deal went down. <laughs> he, he set like the axes up to where, like, you know, basically one swing, it's going to break. There's like a sledgehammer. <laughs> like, yeah, the head's going to fall off, you know, if you swing it, yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but the one funny part I thought was uh, where, like, he's like, all right, this is going to be the closet where they can hide in. It's like, why don't you. Why don't you just reach in there and grab them and attack them in the closet? It's like closets are off limits. Like you don't. <laughs> there's a it's code. Like, face, face, yeah. <laughs> like home base when you're a kid, and you're playing. You know, you know whatever yeah. you got a home base. It's kind of like that. There's a certain and moral he goes code. Into the we deeper all, thing we of it being by. like the womb, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like there's a secret moral code that we all kind of go by. Where you know the, the the closet is like the mother's womb, and uh, <laughs> he gets all phil- philosophical about it. Um, and, and like even even like going through like his like real name Mancuso, I mean that's that's a nod to Friday the Thirteenth because of the producer. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Actually, it is kind of a double. That's another one of those double references because it's yeah. If I think it was Frank Mancuso Jr. produced a lot of Friday Thirteenth movies, and then also Nick Mancuso is the actor who portrayed Billy, who's never in like I mentioned before in Black Christmas. The, there's an actor that portrayed Billy, even though his name's not even credited in the movie, and that was Nick Mancuso. So it'd be a double reference, I guess. So yeah, like uh, then, like they go back to Eugene and uh, Taylor asks him, "So how exactly, you know, what's your advice? How do you survive uh, these situations?" <laughs> and I think he basically like, "Well, run like a motherfucker and keep running until the sun comes up." <laughs> <laughs> 
which is which is to... so funny. Like since since mo- most people know from The Walking Dead, like that is just so opposite of Herschel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it, it's sound advice, honestly. And oh, you yeah. notice that oh, no yeah. one and and you notice that no one takes him up on it when the shit goes down here in a minute. <laughs> Even though he's basically telling her, like, look, this is how you do it. But no. All right, so now it's like the night of, like, they're fi- he's finally about to go on his killing spree. You know, the house is all set up and we're ready to go. And uh, I think this is when, like, he, he puts the, uh, the like, the grease paint or whatever the hell it is on his face. Yeah. And you you can hear the music in the background. I'm assuming this is what you were talking about earlier, Smoke, about the, the sh- another Shining reference. Yeah, the uh, yeah. song that's, that he's listening to on the radio is the, yeah. the song yeah. the Shining that's playing in the in the hotel at the credit in credit sequence or yeah, right when yeah, he goes yeah. up and shows Jack in the photo. Yeah, it play, it's the same music that plays at the end of The Shining and Doctor Sleep. Now, obviously, Doctor Sleep hadn't come yeah. out when this was a thing, but yeah, it, it, they played the same music. It's like Midnight and Me and You or in the Moon or whatever the hell it's called, something like that. Some of those old, you know, uh, 1920s uh, or 30s type, type tunes. Midnight, midnight. Uh, the stars in you. If yeah, yeah, that's that's what it is. Uh, oh, but can, you I, hear- can I go back to the beginning of the movie real quick? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember the the turtles at the beginning of the movie? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Church and Zoe. That's a, yeah. a, a, a <laughs> that's, reference to Pet Cemetery. That's right. Yeah, because the <laughs> church being obvious, but some people don't really. I mean, some people stop at the first Pet Cemetery and don't even watch the second one. But the second one, the, the dog's name was Zoe, right? <laughs> in the second Pet Cemetery movie, <laughs> I didn't get that reference simply because I don't remember him saying what the names of the damn turtles were. But like, I guess maybe yeah, he, I was kind of half paying attention. Yeah, he says the church. He says it real quick, but then he also says some other. He delivers some other funny line about turtles being the only pets he likes because they can <laughs> go a long time without eating. He goes, "Little fuckers just won't die." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought that it was. I thought that it was a natural link to the first Rocky movie where he had two pet turtles named Cuff and Link. But uh, <laughs> you know what? There's now there's an even deeper dive there for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I was clearly way off base with the references. So then, like, like, like I said, you're you're in the night of, and like now he's set up, and uh, he kills the first two people because, like, he, you know, he's already laid out the plan to her. Basically, like, All right, I'm gonna kill these two, and the, while they're having sex in the bed, and then I'm gonna prop their bodies in there like they're sleeping, and then this is gonna happen, and this is gonna happen. You know, like he maps it all out. So he goes in and kills the first two, and I guess like sets them up in the bed. But then Taylor instantly has reservations about this. Like, you know, this ain't right. You know, like, I can't stand by and let this happen. So then he basically takes them all outside and he, like, wishes them goodbye. Like, you know, shakes the the two camera guys' hands. Like, thanks for all your help. Uh, you know, and he actually tells her that he tells her what she what she does say later, a little bit later of like, you know, you got that look in your eye. Like, uh, like, I can't be involved with this or like. You know, like, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't use that flash in the face like this is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's why he's basically like telling them to get out because, like, you know, this is gonna happen whether you like it or not. So, uh, c'est la vie. But of course, Taylor and the the, the two uh, camera guys they go back in to stop it, and then they walk into the room and uh, Kelly, who's supposed to be the virgin, she's having like. <laughs> She's doing like rever- reverse cowgirl on some dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <on> that jock. <laughs> and then the, it was that one of the camera guys goes, "That's like no version I've ever seen." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder, I wonder, like when they were writing this, all right, what kind of position clearly doesn't say virgin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's some bareback reverse cowgirl action going on. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, that's not a virgin. Uh, no. <laughs> So all basically now, like you clear, it's clear all these things that were supposed to happen that Leslie had, 
had laid out are not going to plan. And they basically say it's because she's not a virgin. I was like, oh, shit, well, we can't let him know that because that's going to, you know, blow the whole thing up and he's just going to lose it and kill us all. And then she, I think even Kelly's like, excuse me for not being a virgin. And then you hear like the door, like Leslie on the other side of the door, like, like right after they said that. It's like, ah, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then you see, I think you see him in the window, right? Or he's standing in the window and then he sees them in there. So they all start freaking out and uh, running all over the place. And uh, the two stoners like go over to like a shed or, you know, they go out back and he kills. I think he stabs the first one or something, right? He kills the first dude. And then the other guy, he takes the damn post hole digger and pulls his heart out. Pulls his heart out. <laughs> puts it in his hand. Puts puts it in his hand. His, and then and the, the guy like looks at it like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that like almost a reference uh, straight up to uh, uh, Indiana Jones? <laughs> Kalima, <laughs> Kalima. Oh my God! If I started saying that, I think I would have died. Yeah, <laughs> I just would have had to pause the movie and uh, get up and start running around in circles. I'd be laughing so hard. <laughs> no, they didn't say um, that yet. But that, that Stoner's name was Kalima, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and by the so way, they, what Josh was just talking about, I've been in the movie theater with him <laughs> watching. I think it was like Step Brothers or something like that. And, like, straight up in the middle of the movie, he gets, like, so tickled, he gets up and starts running down the aisle. He's laughing so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I do think that was one of those type of movies where it's, like, only us and, like, one other person in the theater. Oh, yeah. It was like the theater. Yeah, yeah. See, (laughs) you could have a little bit more fun with it. But, yeah, like, I think I was laughing so hard, like, I had to get up and run around because I was going to lose my breath. You know, kind of one of those deals. (laughs) So then they go out. Of course, they run out of the house and to try to, try to get away. And, and of course, like, oh, my van, the van. Uh, he sabotaged this this truck or this car or whatever, but he hasn't messed around with the van. So let's go over there. They get in. Of course, the van has been uh, fucked with. They can't start it. Oh, I mean, what opened the door and bodies were in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, before they got in the van. Yeah, you're right. Like the two I think the two uh, that were having sex at the beginning of the massacre. Uh, he's got them like tied up in there uh, dead. And they fall out and get in the van, and it won't start. Um, this is this is also one of the points in the in the movie or in the script writing or the, whatever that you get the feeling of like, hmm, you know, something. How would he have known? You know, like, okay, so is this part of the plan? Uh, we'll find out. Type thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, why would their van be sabotaged? You know what I mean? Like, why would their yeah something exactly. something that you know like I think I think we kind of glanced over is like. The entire movie, it's clearly like mockumentary, and it's the camera guys. And as soon as they decide to go in and start being part of the the, the murder scene, mm-hmm. like it switches it's, to like a traditional movie. Yeah, like yeah, it's a movie. Yeah. Camera. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much yeah. as soon as they put the cameras down, it's not a, a mockumentary anymore or a documentary, however you want to phrase it. It's a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and that's an interesting transition too because it's kind of like. You notice it, but you don't notice it. You accept it. You know, yeah. like, and you, you go from earlier when Leslie was going through the whole thing with him, telling him how he's going to do this and that before, you know, before the kids get to the cabin and he's going through all these scenes. Now you start to see these scenes play out, but differently because now the camera crew is part of the people being chased and everything. But you see these things that are that he had set up earlier. And then a, part, yeah. a bigger part of the pictures or the puzzle starts to form. In your mind as you're viewing it. I think it would be interesting to uh, like go back and I don't know enough about cars. I wonder if like when he yanked out the remember the scene where he's got uh, 
the spark plugs, right? Oh, yeah. Man, yeah. spark plugs. I just don't feel like getting run over tonight. I wonder if yeah. that's the reason that their band wouldn't start. Like, did he have both sets of, did he have both sets of cars? Like, you know, did, was the van already tampered with before they, they could, would they've even been able to leave at the point when they were going to leave? You know what I mean? Right. Like when he told them, like, leave, get out of here. Or did he do it after he realized, I mean, we know already we're getting to the point in the story of, of what happens and, you know, what the big picture is or whatever. But I mean, I would assume I, that he pulled it out from the beginning, you know? I think at this point, now that you know what you know, looking back on the movie that you've seen it, yeah, I think you can pretty safely assume you're probably right, Will, that yeah. that's, pro- that's probably the Van Spark plug. He had already yeah. went back over there and messed with it. <laughs> and, 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 like, and, like, that's just that's going to show, like, he's done so much homework on these people. Yeah. He knows, he knows, even What's, even though he's saying, look, leave, get out of here, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, he knows. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, he reads the room correctly. <laughs> <laughs> because see if it was me and i was the camera guy man that sucks you're staying i'll see you later yeah <laughs> <laughs> guess what the damn van's not starting <laughs> well that's we're not going back <laughs> and and that's the part that's kind of i wouldn't say confusing but kind of uh strange to me is that like for the most part up until this point up until the point where it's like she's like i can't be a party to this kind of thing she's completely a party to it right like yeah yeah she, yeah, she totally... had no compunctions about the brick you know about pulling the brick out of the door and being well nobody was going to die in that scene so i guess she was okay yeah like with... the whole build-up <laughs> is like you you know that the whole build-up to this is like this is going to happen yeah but then when it acts <laughs> when it actually happened she's just like nope nope you know <laughs> yeah, i know what did you think was going to happen you think he was just going to chicken out at the end or something or it's like he's just doing this as a you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah you know what the end result giggles. is going to be. Yeah, and, and and up into the point where uh, they split off and go their separate ways, like I, I just had a, a gut feeling it was going to be like uh, the Eugene character and his wife. Like, like is she going to fall in love with him, and and that's the ending of the movie? You know, like mm-hmm. she starts helping him yeah. do all this stuff. Yeah, because that was a, that was the direction they could have gone in, like that. Yeah, it could have been yeah. like Eugene and his wife. Younger version. That that's probably another one of those things. Like we're going to leave that hanging out there just to make you think that that might be a possibility but that's not what's going on you know could be one of those deals a MacGuffin or whatever that they kind of left laying on the floor so then like kelly you know the the original uh target girl falls uh, like <laughs> that now they, they referenced earlier in the movie when he's setting everything up how he nails the windows shut she's like well wouldn't they just uh, uh why wouldn't they just bust the glass out and he's you like know, you think they, they would <laughs> you think they would but huh, you know here we are so of course Kelly just like she she I think she tries the window and then picks up a chair and, and just throws it right out the window. Yeah. So that throws that <laughs> that throws that right out right. But then when she jump like basically she falls out of the window right and, like dies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then of course Leslie is standing there and he looks back up and like huh for real you know. <laughs> <laughs> then Leslie kills one of the cameramen Todd like he's kind of the bigger dude. When he kind of takes off running, like I guess he kind of goes right when everyone else is going left. Yeah, I, left, yeah. I guess I guess he's kind of doing this as a diversion. I guess it's kind of. The, I guess yeah. So then he maybe goes after him and not them. Yeah, yeah. He's, well, well, he does. He goes after him, and uh, Leslie gets on top of him, and like he Todd pulls the mask off of him. He's like, "Look, it's me. It's it's, it's Todd. You, you don't you know basically you don't have to do this. It's me." And then he just kind of stares him like he doesn't say a word. He just kind of stares him down and then kills him. Um, so clearly, you know, now you know that this dude is completely fucking lost it, right? Like, if you had any reservations before, now you know he's going to do this and he's going to kill all of them, you know? <laughs> then this is when they, like, they go and hide in the barn or whatever, and then they all come to the realization that, like, 
Kelly wasn't the virgin that he was after. Taylor, you're the virgin that he's yeah. after. Um, so that's uh, when yeah, that's of, when it sinks into them that they were they were in the plot the whole time. Is yeah, she was yeah, the final yeah. girl from the beginning of his plan to <laughs> yeah, the survivor girl that they keep they, that they mentioned. Like she was the she was the one all along. So then uh, Leslie comes in and is chasing them around. Doug kind of stands in between uh, Leslie and Taylor, and he kind of uh, or no no not yet that was right before this. They're they're chasing each other around, and then like Halloran tries to come in, and Doug knocks him out. Like as soon as he walks into the barn, then. Leslie goes back up to the, the barn loft and kills the other two teens that were with him. You know, the other girl and the jock guy. He kills both of them. Like he, he, I think he just like cuts the throat of one of them and then hangs the other one, right? Like pulls the rope and hangs them off from the rafters. Yeah. Like pushes yeah. them off and hangs them. Leslie is kind of fighting around with Halloran and he stabs Halloran. And then Doug comes up from behind. Like I said, he kind of gets between Leslie and Taylor and, uh, Leslie knocks Doug out. He's the other camera guy. And then he's chasing after Taylor. Uh, she ends up going like uh, to this apple shed. It's kind of like, you know, out across the, the land there or whatever, you know, across the other side of the farm. Earlier in the movie, that was part of what he had shown. He was showing her that there was like this apple press thing in there, you know, where you put a bunch of apples in it and you, you crank yeah. it and it, it crushes the apples to get the apple juice out or whatever. She manages to put his head in there and then she like cranks it and crushes his head in the apple press. And then she pours gas all over the shed and lights it on fire. Then Halloran, of course, Halloran and Doug show up. They, it turns out they weren't dead. I, mean, I kind of figured it was Doug. I wasn't as sure about Halloran, right? Because he, yeah. he he stabbed him and there was blood coming out of his mouth. So I was thinking, like, Halloran might be dead. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but no, he's not. Doug's with him and he's kind of, like, helping him walk. And they show up. And then uh, all, uh, Halloran, Doug, and Taylor are kind of standing there as the shed burns. And I think Halloran says something like... Uh, He's not a man or something like that, right? It's kind of one he's of those. He's only uh, a man. He's only a man. It's kind of like that Loomis kind of moment. I mean, I don't think we ever directly referred to that with uh, Halloran, right? Like, he's Loomis. That's basically what he is. He, <laughs> even his wardrobe is Loomis's wardrobe. Yeah. Beard. <laughs> yeah, the beard, everything. He's, he's straight yeah. up Loomis from Halloween. So then you, this is when you get the end credits and, uh, you know, you see the title screen. And then during the credits, you see, like, surveillance fo footage from inside of a morgue. Like a camera As set up in the, the Talking Heads is uh, a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, Psycho Killer by the Talking Psycho Heads. Psycho Killer by the Talking Heads is playing, yeah. Which which is an awesome pull, right? Um, yes, yeah. Probably cost them a lot of great song. <laughs> yeah, that, that might be a good portion of the budget, just getting that song, <laughs> yeah. right? But, <laughs> yeah. um, but anyways, like, uh, you hear the song, the credits are playing, and you see surveillance footage in the back, and at a morgue, and somebody wheels in a, a body. They pull it back, and it's a burned corpse. And then as the, the mortician or whatever the hell he is, he's over there doing his thing, the body sits up. And then that's basically the end of the, uh, of the credits. So, like I said, they set it up for a sequel. Leslie Vernon is still alive. At the Which was like a nice little uh, like throwback to, to earlier in the movie where he's talking about like the uh, stuff that he's putting on his face and the fact that yeah. he adds a little flame retardant in there. Yeah. 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 So he was prepared for everything. Yeah. And it's almost as if, like, he had planned it all to the T where, like, this was, he knew this was going to happen. Like, everything. Yeah, like, even so, to the point of probably the fact that he didn't mean that he didn't want to kill Doc Halloran. Because he had mentioned that earlier, because you don't want to kill your, you know, you don't want to off him too early, you know. So he probably, even that, you, or at least that kind of plants the seed of you thinking about these things. Did he even just stab him somewhere, or just do something that wasn't a kill, you know? He knew yeah, he yeah. Kill and that that was the other aspect too like remember when she's got his head in that little apple press machine he tells her to mm. do it 
Yeah. Like, you know, she's twisting it. And then like, you know, one final twist, he's like, do, do it. You know, she gives that one final twist, you know? So yeah, I, he set everything up. And, and like, I think, like I said, you know, to kind of summarize, in my opinion, that's what makes this so ingenious in, in a lot of ways, yeah. because it's like, you see a slasher movie from another side. The idea that this is all set, like these dudes aren't just randomly killing people, right? Like <laughs> there's a lot of pre-planning and prep that goes into this to, to make this happen. Now, obviously, you know, that's, you know, that's not what's happening in your, in your average slasher movie, but it is an interesting uh, theory, an interesting look in, uh, of how smart someone would have to be to pull it off the way they pull it off. Right. So it's, yeah, uh, and, and it's not by accident. So with that being said, there you go. There's Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon from 2006. So, Will, what's your star rating on this bad boy? Yeah, I think I'm going to go four and a half on this. I love this movie. Like, wow. I, I honestly can't wait to watch it again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just like, I just I, watched it again while we were about talking it. about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the hell you're uh, talking about, but I was just watching it <laughs> as we're going. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I've already told my wife about it. Like, I definitely want to watch it again. Well, see, that's what it. I was like, too, that, too. I wanted to show other people, too. It's like, oh, so you got to watch this movie, you know? So I, that's how I saw it a, at least three times shortly after it came out. <laughs> or shortly after it came out on DVD, and I saw it that first time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I, would, I wouldn't be surprised, like, when we do our year in review uh, next Halloween, that it goes up for me. Well, four and a half, <laughs> it would, it's hard to go up any much higher than that, but I guess we'll find out next year. Professor, a <laughs> <laughs> it's a year-long payoff. It's the long con. But it'll be worth it. Um, Professor, what do you say? Oh, man, this, like, like I said, this is, I don't know how many times for sure I've seen it. A handful of times, six, uh, five or six times that I can count. Uh, and every time, first of all, every time you watch it, you will definitely catch something you didn't see that's a reference to other horror movies. I mean, if you know anything about 70s and 80s slasher movies and all that stuff, you'll see, you'll keep seeing things. Beyond that, though, just watching it again for the sixth or seventh time, whatever time this was that I watched it, every time it gets better to me, too, as far as watching. And I don't watch them, besides the initial watching it and then watching it with somebody else maybe two other times. It had been a while since I'd seen it last. So, uh, but it, every time, I, mean, I like it. Like Will was saying, I like it more than the last time I'd seen it, so. Uh, I'd go up with four stars on it. It's a strong film. I think it's also, I think it's a very underrated film. I think a lot of diehard horror fans probably know this title, maybe. But if you don't, if you're a diehard horror fan and you don't know this title, then what the hell are you listening to this for right now? Come back. You should, it's too late. We've already spoiled it for you. So, <laughs> But at any rate, if you haven't seen it, turn this off, go watch it and come back and finish it. You know, finish the podcast. It's great. Uh, if you are a cursory horror fan, that's kind of peripherally, you know, fan of horror movies, then you probably haven't heard of this. Then same with you. You'll love it. I think it's a underrated gem, really. Yeah, I, mean, I say even if I say even if you're just a fan of slasher films, you know, uh -huh. and that and that's pretty much the only thing you kind of like. You yeah. should go check this out just for that aspect of it. You know, myself, I, I really enjoyed it. It's a damn clever movie. I don't think I'm gonna rate it quite as high as you guys guys have. I think I'm gonna go three and a half. But that's just kind of where I feel like it's at on my scale. And and, and like I said, uh -huh. you know, maybe I watch it again. Maybe I just think a little bit longer on it. Maybe next year I might, you know, uh, change that rating. But for now, I'm going to stay with three and a half. Like I said, damn smart movie, though. Very well done. You know, and if it had a very, very small budget, you couldn't tell. But, you know, it wasn't one of those kind of movies where you needed a high, uh, uh, you know, a high dollar budget regardless. But you get what I'm saying. Like, you know, it's not like, say, with that movie All Hallows Eve that we watched back in October. You can see the money there. 
right? Like you could see the the lack of funds, yeah, some lack, yeah. budget, yeah, yeah, and, and something like that, and, and other movies too. But that's just a more recent example, right? Mm-hmm. And this one, and this one, I bet you anything, it probably had a comparable budget, maybe a little more, but probably a fairly comparable budget. And even though it's an older movie than that one, yeah. It's still well done. You know, you wouldn't be able yeah. to see that there's there's not a lot of money on the table. Yeah, uh, very very slickly and polished movie. And as far as yeah, the, yeah, for for what it is, even, even compared to what it is, where you know they could have went the route where it's sort of this found footage type mockumentary where they're shooting through the camera lens and making it like a Blair Witch type thing, which they didn't yeah. do that either. Which I'm thankful that they. I mean, I, Blair Witch is what it is. Found footage films are what they are, but I think they they weren't necessarily going for that look in there. Thankfully, where it's shaky cam running and all this stuff you know anyways uh yeah so as you can see it for our ratings you can clearly tell we all enjoyed the hell out of it and we all want to watch it again so we highly recommend going and checking this movie out it was it was a pleasant surprise and i'm glad you uh, recommended it smoke it was a a good pull oh good good glad y'all glad y'all enjoyed it. i thought maybe it would it's been a little while since i've seen it but i figured and i don't even know what brought it to my attention this time for me to even mention it as a movie to watch it I don't even, I don't remember, but yeah, well, uh, maybe I just saw it on the DVD shelf and like, oh yeah, we could do that one. All right, so Will, what kind of uh, kill count did you come up for this one? I'm going to say 11. If, if, if there's a sequel to this and it, and it turns out it's supernatural, you could go 10 or 11 on this. Uh, first person was the librarian that got uh, stabbed in the head. Then the jock got stabbed in the stomach. The cheerleader got slashed. Pete got stabbed in the stomach. He likes the stomach a lot. <laughs> the, the the two stoners one got stabbed in the head the other one was the heart scene kelly falls to her death todd's neck gets snapped uh lauren's stabbed in the back shane was the guy that got uh, hung from the rafters and then if you want to count leslie getting burned alive that's the debatable one. like like is this gonna you know if they ever make a part two of this is it supernatural yeah like the way jason is like jason's died. been killed countless times or something right you saw right it was without, like, like then <laughs> without question it definitely could be but i don't think it is i think it's like he planned this out so yeah. well you know yeah. that you know he's not really dead and remember that the whole hyperbaric chamber thing right like where they're able to where slow, their, slow your heart rate down slow your heart rate and all that kind of stuff so maybe that plays into it too i don't think he's dead and like like even everything with the uh you know like he, he had you know like taking such precautions, you know, to, like, file down, like, the, the pitchfork, you know, uh, mess up the axe, all this stuff. It wouldn't be past him to take something out of the bottom of the uh, the apple press. So, like, press? when yeah, it I was looks thinking like that his head's were, squeezed. We're talking about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 that, that, that it, he's just faking that it's hurt. Yeah. Yeah, at first, like, we don't see that either, That you know, and she might not have even been paying attention to that. Like, they don't show his head splattering like an apple or something, you know, like, you don't see blood right. going, or whatever. It's like, he tells her to do it, and then she does it, and you kind of hear something. But, yeah, he could very well have had some something under his head in there that to make the sound or whatever, or to make her think that she had done the final turn that killed him. And more than likely, that's the case. Yeah. So, based on the kill count and everything we just discussed there, Smoke, what do you say for the uh, gore score for this? Uh, the gore score, and, and like, uh, like Will was mentioning, going through these kills, they sound like they could be gory, right? He's like, oh, you should stab this and cut this guy. And then really the only real gory part, I think, of all those kills was the heart, the po- post hole digger pulling the heart out of the stoner guy and putting it in his hand. Yeah, that's probably mm-hmm. the, that's probably the yeah. gory. If you want to get the gory money shot of the movie or whatever. Everything else was kind of, you know, well, there's a hanging and there's a neck snapping. Those are bl- completely bloodless. You know, even the, ni- the knife kills weren't that bloody. So. I think I want to go with the highest, probably go as a five on it. And that's mainly because of the heart ripping. 
I mean, you have a heart ripping scene that's pretty gory, you know, and then and some blood from the other from the knife kills and whatnot. But uh, whatnot definitely not an overly gory movie, as we mentioned earlier. And definitely a way to keep down the budget. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm sure that that's it's not all, in, that... in the end. It's not really about that, about the kills per se, like some others, like Terrifier. You know, <laughs> that was all about the kills and the gore and the splatter being. I'm sure the main budget of that movie, this one's going a totally different way. So there you have it. Uh, I think, uh, like I said, we, we all highly recommend it. And uh, we got multiple viewings ahead of us for this one. So, <laughs> yeah, even, is, we never even covered all the references in this movie, even though we covered a lot of them. There's a lot we didn't even cover as yeah. far as horror references. And there's, there's probably some other animals that none of us called either. You know, this yeah. not listed on some okay. article somewhere or something like that. So like yeah. I said, that when I first watched this movie again, after not having seen it in a while, that that bar room the uh red rabbit thing or whatever i never caught that until this time around and that's because i just re- recently watched the first halloween because i don't i don't remember things like you know loomis holding this red just you know matchbook or whatever i'd just seen that movie shortly before this and i'm like oh shit there's you know as that, that reference i never even caught before so i'm sure there'll be more even I after mean, there, was even like a, uh, there, there was a freddie reference uh remember when he's got them in the van and he's showing them you know like all right this is the group of jocks this is the loner nerdy mm-hmm. kid and then yeah. he finds like the the, the girl that, that they quote unquote shared a moment. I oh think yeah, it's in that shot in the background, you see uh, girls uh, doing skip rope, which is a uh, oh yeah, to, uh, that's true. Yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. I don't see that's another one. I don't even think I paid attention to that one. <laughs> I mean, I didn't catch that one. Still like, haven't I caught that one to you. Yeah, I didn't catch that one. Like like by this point, I'd already kind of started seeing you know like some of the, the 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 ways it was setting up other movies. Something clicked with me when I saw that, and I didn't see it until I started doing the research afterward. But yeah, yeah, like something just stuck out to me in that scene, and I was like, <laughs> I don't have time to sit here and rewind it and rewatch it. But but yeah, it, it jumped out to me. It just not not obviously. Yeah. yeah. And that that whole scene was cool, too, because it's like they, you show him setting up, you know, finding these kids or whatever. And then, and then the final girl or he, as he calls them survivor girl or whatever, he sees her and he's like lots eyes. And it's got we don't know that yet, but we're kind of like, who is this? And then then what's her name? Uh, Taylor says, or was that her or something? He goes like, no, I've already got the girl. This girl picked out. I mean, if I didn't have this girl picked out, I'd be way behind, you know, the final girl. <laughs> so that's it's kind of like showing him finding his next victim. <laughs> Like if all this, you know, whatever, whatever this supposed survivor girl or final girl gets killed, whenever that happens to be two movies down the road, three or whatever, he's already kind of locked in on this might be his next victim, you know, his next final girl. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and just to throw this out there, like if, if y'all are sitting here watching this movie and you're like, man, I want some more of this. Uh, there was a six issue run of a comic book called Before the Mask. Oh, wow. Well, so, yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to sit down and read this. Yeah. I didn't even know about that either. That came out. Did it say? Did you? Did it? Was it come out back when the movie tied in with the movie? Uh, or? I'm not seeing it on here. Give me a second. I'll find out. And also that another scene we didn't really. We, we didn't, there's so much in there you can go into as far as the, the humor aspects and all that. But one scene that like cracked me up, especially the first time I saw it, was when he was doing cardio and he's beating the you know punching the punching bag and everything. And he's talking about how come you got to do so much cardio? Because you don't have any idea. How, you know, you got to chase these kids down. You got to make it look like you're walking. Yeah. You didn't have any idea how hard that is, you know, because it always shows a slasher like Jason or Michael, and they never run, you know, they're just walking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they still catch up to them. You know? uh, I thought that was hilarious. I think. You have any idea how hard it is to make it look like you're walking? That's a lot of the dark comedy aspects of this movie that yeah. they do really well, too. You know, it, it's it's well written, man. And I'm really surprised that uh, that Glosserman and, and, you know, the other, a, lot, a couple of the other people that uh, made this movie haven't done other things. Yeah, yeah. Because you, know, you would, th- I mean, I, you've seen plenty of movies that have 
more of a budget than well we don't know what the exact budget of this movie is but plenty of movies that look like they probably had a bigger budget that were not as well put together as this one and those people go on to do all kind of different projects so yeah why didn't what happened here yeah yeah it's like i said it's almost as if like uh maybe the dude started doing something else i'm not sure yeah because he he really doesn't have a, a lot of credits for anything past this and, and i looked mm-hmm. at a, a couple places trying to find some kind of backstory on him and there really is none <laughs> but I mean, uh, I went on the guy's Twitter account. I mean, he retweeted something within the last week. Yeah. So, like, he's, I don't know. It's, it's odd. You know, you would think someone that, like you said, put this together so well and did a great job with this with probably a fairly limited budget that he wouldn't have gone on to do something else in horror or yeah. something else, right? You know, so I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure eventually, may, hopefully, maybe one day, you know, we'll get around to doing something and then um, we'll be there for it. Yeah, this was, this was good stuff. All right, so for the next movie, we're going to be selling, celebrating Thanksgiving, and we're just going to go right to the top with what's considered one of probably the best uh, horror Thanksgiving movies ever made, and we're going to watch Blood Rage from 1987. I'm going to give you the IMDb synopsis. As kids, Todd is institutionalized for a murder whilst his twin goes free. Ten years later on Thanksgiving, Todd escapes and a killing spree begins in his neighborhood. So uh, I, I just, I just, uh, I'm going to pull an executive decision here and just say, well, let's just go for it. Let's just go ahead and watch what many consider the best Thanksgiving horror movie um, ever made. And as, as the time of this recording, it is available on uh, Amazon Prime Video. And I'm sure there's other places that you can check it out, you know, if you don't own a copy, but uh, it is out there. So, um, Granted, the uh, the competition is pretty slim <laughs> that it's yeah, got yeah, up to go up against. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we're just because after I mean, after this, you know, it might be three or four more Thanksgivings we can find something, dig something out. But after that, we'll be like, hmm, we we'll have yeah. to really <laughs> dig for some Thanksgiving reference <laughs> horror movies. We'll have to get more clever as years go by. But that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah. I figured we just go ahead and go from zero to sixty here. I mean, like we watched probably yep. one of the worst last year in Home Sweet Home. So. Let's just go straight to the top and watch yeah, yeah, one yeah. of the best. So, uh, <laughs> Blood Rage from 1987 will be up next. So, you guys got anything to add about Behind the Mask or Blood Rage or anything else before we sign off? Uh, I just found out uh, Before the Mask uh, came out around the time that the 10-year anniversary edition of uh, Behind the Mask oh, came I, out oh, okay, around so. the same time. Now, I did notice, although I don't know if, there's, it's a, if it's a different cut or this, you know, maybe it's just a label they slapped on it. But I watched this movie on Prime Video, and if you notice, like, the little, uh, you know, picture or the poster or logo or whatever it had beside it there, it did say 10-year anniversary edition on that. So I don't know if that means this is different. The one that I watched is any different Mm -hmm. uh, from the other one. I don't know. I don't know, you know, what's going on there. But, but yeah, apparently that was uh, the 10-year anniversary edition, which I assume that means came out in either 2016 or 2017, depending on... Mm-hmm. what they consider the anniversary but yeah uh i guess maybe we can dig around and uh find out if there's any differences and we'll mention it on the next episode before we get into blood rage so yeah yeah it might um, it might have been some minor ones just going through just going through what we did on the show i didn't notice anything because I, I saw the dvd version yeah yeah but it could have been um, some minor things that they just added back in that weren't there i'm sure yeah if there was anything different it was probably very minor um so all right so i guess that's it for uh behind the mask so for Will and the Professor Smoke, I'm Josh. We are the All-American Spook Show Podcast, and we will see you next time for Blood Rage.